That's all that matters. Rocky's good.
Nothing? Welcome to Carpenter's Way. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I don't hear this thing. Is this working? So anyway, yeah, um, I don't know where to go from here. Um, if you want to stand and worship, uh, you're more than welcome now that you can hear the guitar. Um, but yeah, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Like I said, if you want to stand, you can. You don't have to. If you're logging in online, don't be a spectator. Uh, join in with us. Forever he is the highest 
there in the newborn crowd there in the light of every sunrise there in the shadows of this life your great grace it's there on the mountain top There in the everyday and the mundane There in the sorrow and the dancing Your great grace Oh, such grace From the creation to the cross There from the cross into eternity Your grace finds me Yes, Your grace finds me Here on a wedding day There in the weeping
their creation to the cross and there from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me if you can stand would you stand with me and let's um Say the word of God together. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Who is like our God? Who spoke and there was life and saw how it should be. Who is like our God? Who sent His Son to die set the captive free we will exalt you our God the King over all the earth we will sing be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you're due will be enthroned that I worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you where you belong will be enthroned be God, with strength beyond compare, and love that knows no end. And who is like our God, the ever reigning King, and always faithful friend? We will exalt you, our God the King, over all the earth.
will be in with our worship to you by the praise that you're due will be in let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume lifting you will you be low The praise at your turn, oh, be enthroned. Let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume. Lifting you where you belong, oh, be enthroned, be
of what? Worthy of everything. Worthy of our souls. Worthy of our trust. You know, you just declared, we just declared God, God's reign. And uh, that, is, uh, that is easy to sing. But I think that's the battle of our hearts. The battle of our hearts is to trust Him. We know He's got our eternity because we have no other hope. But to trust Him with um, our day-to-day stuff, our health, our children, our grandchildren, that's, that's complicated. Because we think that um, we have to hold on. And this is a struggle I have. We have to hold on. We have to grip tight in order for things to be okay. And uh, that's just not how it works, is it? You know, in the last couple of weeks at Carpenter's Way in our family, we've had, uh, it seems like the last couple of months have been rough and, and things are getting better, but man, this last month we've buried a couple of our family members who were very precious to us, and uh, that is hard to do. Uh, yesterday uh, we uh, gave West Subtle back to the Lord, and, and so be praying for the family. Uh, but, uh, you know, God's still on His throne, and He's still good. He's good, and uh, this, this morning we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to get into that more, why we can trust Him. But this is something that God has really been speaking to me and uh, Julie and I about. We've been talking about this so much, the bigness of God and how we have reduced Him to such a human level, and uh, I'm, I, it's just been burning in my soul, and, and my study in Galatians has been so good, and I, I've just, uh, my, my brain is being changed by our study, and I hope it is for you as well, and I hope you've been able to stick with us. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're able to join us that way. We want to encourage you to be with us as, as your health allows. Uh, for those of you in this room, stick with the study. It's so good. And one section of Scripture builds upon another section of Scripture, and, and uh, what a privilege. I, I do have a couple announcements I, wanted to, I, I want to make. Uh, let me begin by saying that this week, I think it's Thursday, is Veterans Day. And for all of you who have served in the military or are presently serving, we Man, we appreciate you. Scripture says that you're actually serving the King of Kings as you serve the King. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's of great cost, whether you served eight years or were a career man or woman in the military. We thank you for your service. Uh, we've had good presidents. We've had lousy presidents, however you define good and lousy. But the fact is you remain faithful. And because of that, we get to meet this morning. And we're really not afraid of anything weird happening in this room. We are not afraid of the government coming in and, and, and wreaking havoc on us. And that's a wonderful thing that may not be here forever, but it is wonderful now. And that's in a big part because of you. And I want you to know that as we talk about uh, God not being an American, we are not, that is not mean that we do not appreciate the citizenship in this wonderful country. Our goal, and I want to be clear on this, our goal is to seek first the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that second, third, or fourth, we don't want to seek our, our country. That's why we vote. That's why we're involved. But we all do it in the power and in the, in the character of God. And so we'll be talking about that next week a little bit more. But I wanted to thank uh, veterans. Um, I wanted to mention a couple business things for you. Next Sunday night at 5 o'clock, we have our annual business meeting. For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, uh, you're welcome to come. Uh, only members get to vote. But basically how we do this is as you walked in today, there's a table out in the welcome area, and it has the information for the business meeting. There are two things number we'll be voting on. Number one is the budget. 
Um, and we encourage you to ask questions. Take a budget, ask questions about it. We want you to be in the know. We don't have any secrets at Carpenter's Way, but that's, uh, that's one of the votes uh, that we will have. And then the second thing is our, our church officers. And they're listed there, and we are very excited about people and how they came about as people in the church nominated these names. The elders prayed through that list, met with them, uh, and are, are glad to be presenting them to you. So, uh, But at next Sunday night at 5 o'clock at our business meeting, we will not entertain any questions about the individuals. You, uh, It started last week, and you should ask those questions to an elder uh, in private because our goal isn't to shame people. If you have some concerns, we want those concerns. That's why they're out there for two weeks. But we feel like in a way to build people up and not tear people down, it's, it's better that we don't get into those discussions in a public forum. Second of all, though, there will be a time for questions for the budget, but we ask you to ask them ahead of time. We like these meetings to last 10 minutes. That's what we like. That's what we prefer. We prefer all of the discussion to be done beforehand. That doesn't mean it can't last longer, but uh, that's our hope. So that information is out there. Don't be afraid to ask questions, you guys. Uh, we may not like the questions, but you're entitled to them if you're a member of this church. This is this is a this church. We are together in this, and we have strong leadership. But uh, not the pastors don't build this. The the ministries do, and also please be involved that way. The other thing I want to remind you of is our biggest ministry, our biggest uh, in-house focused ministry is coming up in two weeks, and that is Operation Christmas Child. You had to walk around the big display as you came in. You'll notice it was much bigger two weeks ago. That's because churches and regions, areas are coming to pick up their car, their crates, and what they do is they collect Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, and then they will put them in the crate and then they will bring them to us and we will collect them for one week and then we will put them on semi-trucks and then we ship them off to Dallas where they're reopened to make sure there's nothing illegal in and for customs and then they go across the globe. And, the, and to be clear, these are not all distributed before Christmas. They get distributed throughout the year and the purpose is to present the gospel in churches throughout the globe, and also to help the pastors know how to disciple their flock. Uh, once they get a, a child and a family gets an Operation Christmas Child box, they are invited into 11-week, in that church that's distributing them, they are invited to an 11-week discipleship program called The Greatest Journey. The, the day that the gifts are given out, they're called The Greatest Gift, that's Jesus, and then, that, then there's a follow-up program called The Greatest Journey, and then they graduate. Uh, they get to graduate with a cap and gown, and it's, it's really quite incredible. And it's done all over the world. If you go to the Operation Christmas Child website, you will see boxes, these crates being carried up mountains by yaks. Uh, I know that's weird. Yes, yaks, or flatbed boats in different parts of the world. This is to build up churches as well as to evangelize those who have never heard the gospel. So we encourage you to be a part of that. What we need you to do is that week, uh, they're in front of the display table. There is a big sheet of paper where for seven days from, okay, i got to say this right, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, we start collecting these crates and boxes here, and then we crate them, and then the following Monday we put them in the semis. So especially uh, that Monday of Thanksgiving week, so it's not this Monday, it's not that Monday, but three Mondays, that's when we put them in the trucks, and we need a lot of uh, strong backs. And uh, that can be men or women, but if you've got a strong back, those of us who don't have strong backs will support you, encourage you, collect. But uh, we need as much help that afternoon as we can get, and you can sign up on the sheet so we can plan on having you. But uh, anyway, um, having said that, i got one more thing, and this is of a personal nature. I want to thank you for how you minister. You know, this last uh, few months, we've had so many people sick, 
Uh, we've had some pass, uh, go to be with the Lord. Um, and to watch you come in and put yourself at risk, even in this COVID time, to serve meals to people, funeral dinners, to actually take food to people's houses. Um, I, we, we went uh, to a, a fundraising banquet for uh, a ministry, a pregnancy help center this week, and to see so many of you actively involved. Julie's involved with uh, the women... Uh, <laughs> Seasons of Hope. I just drew a blank. Sorry, ladies. Uh, but Seasons of Hope. And to see so many of you guys involved in giving out pumpkins and celebrating Satan's birthday. I was so, it was so, I, I'm sorry, I will never miss a shot. Uh, but it's so important. And, and so many of you are involved with Amazon Outreach and, and, and the Brazil mission and the Guatemala mission. I, I, you know, I just am, I'm just blessed by watching you. And, um, I just want to thank you for letting me shepherd. I mean, it's a privilege, and it's humbling. And uh, this study of Galatians, I have never, ever, I, t I told Julie this recently, and a couple other people, I have never felt more honored to preach God's Word than I do right now. It is a weird place to be. I'm, I'm 55 in two weeks. Best Buy's closing, so just give cash. Um, but uh, but I, got, I got to tell you, it's crazy. We've been in ministry for almost 40 years now. And I, I feel so honored more now than ever before to minister and to do this with you guys. And so I just want to say thank you for the privilege. Julie and I love being here. We love you. We're honored. And I, I, I thank you for how you participate and how you uh, just, just, just do God's work. The church is not the pastor. It's, it's us. I have one function. You have a lot, all the others. I preach and teach the gospel. I participate with our elders. But the truth is, you are the body, and, and it is an honor to serve with you. And I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, and, and we love you. And uh, so, anyway, um, let's jump into our text because I'm super excited about it. And I, and I, I know, I know it's the most important text I've ever preached. And uh, you're laughing, those of you who are new, because I say that every week. I, I mean, especially in Galatians. But if you stick with this text today, I think you're going to see something. There is a huge debate in the church today over why God has set us free. I grew up in a church that taught that the freedom in Christ is freedom not to sin. Did any of you hear that growing up? That's what we're free to do. Freedom in Christ is freedom not to sin. And I want to tell you off, wrong answer. That is not what freedom in Christ is. Uh, freedom in Christ, well, it's defined here. And I'm super excited to share it with you. And while it's one simple thing, it will change how you look at this life. And uh, so uh, let's, let's jump right in. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Um, I love that. One, one of the versions of the Bible, the English translation says, we have been set free for the sake of freedom. Boy, that'll throw you off if you grew up in a legalistic church, won't you? So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. So please take note for those of you who grew up in the church like me and more legalistic bending churches that taught you that, uh, that you are set free from sinning. That's not what it says. You're free from religiosity. Slavery to the law. Listen. I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses, all 613 of them. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. Wow. Wow. 
That's a bold statement. You have fallen away from God's grace. Wow. But we who live by the Spirit, now pay attention here because I don't want to break it up. He, it's the opposite of the law. So if, and this is going to be important in the next two weeks. Next week is going to be huge. So make sure you're here watching online. It's super important. Um, we're turning a corner here in this letter, and I'll, I'll explain it a little bit later, but it's really important that you stick with us the next couple of weeks. But we who live by the Spirit, in other words, not the law, not religiosity, not by Jewish tradition, more on that next week, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. So I'm waiting to see the righteousness that God has already declared me to be. In other words, I struggle with sin. I know that's shocking. Pastors aren't supposed to, but I do. And the reason is, is because by faith I believe that I will be declared right with God by the work of Jesus. See, what you do in the law is you try to become righteous. You try to live up to all of the expectations that you couldn't live up to in the first place. And, the, and, and faith in Christ says, I trust Him to not only declare me right with himself, but to transform me from the inside out. Verse 6, For when we placed our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit anymore in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important now is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you into freedom. This false teaching. It's like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting that the Lord will keep you from believing these false teachings. God's going to judge that person, whoever he is, who's been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some are saying that I do, why am I still being persecuted by him? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision, please tell me that all of you know what circumcision is, right? Okay, so I don't have to explain it, right? Okay, so let me read this again. Verse 12. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. <laughs> okay, you get it. For you have been called. Why? Because you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, your freedom, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you, your Holy Spirit, would push my words aside and you would loudly be heard in the hearts of these people. Whether they're in the room or online or watching in the archives, Father, change the way we think and as a result, you will change the way we behave. But this culture, this country, this region needs to relook at what the gospel is and what it is not because it is confusing today. And this is very clear. So help us to not only hear the word but be doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin this morning uh, talking about what we just read by rereading an article I read a few months ago that really is shocking. 
It says it was written and it was published in the Gospel Coalition website by a, by a, mission, a daughter of a missionary. And what she wrote is, every time President Biden or Press Secretary Jen Psaki talked about the American withdrawal from Afghanistan, they refer to evacuating Americans who want to leave Afghanistan. On the surface, it seems like an odd description. Don't all Americans want to leave Afghanistan? Who wants to stay in a place where the Taliban are figuring out what it looks like to rule again? I even heard a commentator mock Biden on her podcast last week for describing any Americans in this way. She was baffled, angry even, that no America wants to stay in a country overrun with terrorists. But there are indeed Americans who want to stay in Afghanistan. I don't know how many, and I don't know the story of each one, but there are more who want to stay than you would think. Why? Because they love God and they love Afghanistan. These are called missionaries. And they've counted the cost according to Luke 14. They've left home, family, comfort, security, well before the U.S. decided to evacuate. Many have been there actually since before the U.S. military arrived. They've been in all in for years, and they have no intention of coming back now. They will live out their days sharing the love of Jesus in a very, very dark and dangerous place. And they believe that there's no more worthwhile way to spend their days than to preach Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again to the people of Afghanistan. They know that they're in grave danger. They're not fools. They know they could be martyred, but they believe it's worth it. If not them, then who? How are the Afghans to call on the one they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them, according to Romans 10? Several years ago, a young aid worker, a friend of our friends, was killed by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Violence from the Taliban has been increasing in the region, and both her sending agency and the State Department were urging all American aid workers to leave the country. Her response at that time, please do not make me leave Afghanistan. It will kill me if I have to leave. She intended to give all of her remaining days to provide medical relief and the gospel through medical relief to Afghans. One day, a Taliban terrorist had a, a hit a gun under a fake, a fake arm bandage, entered the clinic where she was, and other Christians were providing medical care. Once he entered, he opened fire, and many aid workers, including she, were killed. He later said he had to. In his words, and I quote, if they keep doing what they're doing, the whole country will believe in Jesus. That's why there are Americans who don't want to leave Afghanistan. And that's why Biden and Psaki really do qualify, need to qualify their statement each time. There really are Christians from America and elsewhere who want to stay. Why? They want the whole country to believe in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, the end of the text for today, says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The value system of this kingdom, where our heavenly daddy rules, is weird. In fact, it's upside down, and we've called it, from the Bible Project. That's what they call it, the, the upside-down value system of our king. 
And it is upside down. I mean, it goes about against everything in our nature. And that, the reason I reread that article is because we sit here and we are so thankful for this young lady who was willing to give her life, but we still think in our flesh, how silly. I mean, what good is it for you to die? Well, now you know. What good is it to give up your life when you can live here in America for 60 more years and maybe witness to 15 more people? And really underneath all of those excuses is a comfort and a self-safety level. I mean, the value system of our kingdom, of our heavenly dad, is upside down when it comes to how we think, how we feel, and how we make decisions. But that was part of the problem of Jesus. You see, Jesus' teaching was upside down. I want to remind you what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard the law that says punishment much match the injury. And this was the law God wrote, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, so Jesus is standing here preaching, right? And he says, you all know that the law says eye for an eye for tooth for a tooth. They all nod, yes, that's what the law says. Well, I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give him your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. You're crazy, Jesus. This goes against everything. We, we quickly want to rationalize it. We want to go, okay, what did he really mean? Because certainly he doesn't mean carry it too. I mean, does he know what the people in Washington are saying about us as Christians? Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away for those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's another law that says that. But I say, love your enemies. What? Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Wow. I'm sure glad I pray for those in Washington. I just prayed for their removal. You're with me, right? You, you guys, I don't really need to expound on this anymore. I mean, see, the problem is, this is upside-down living. I mean, this is what it means to love. This is, this is the difficulty of following Yahweh. In the Old Testament, God accidentally chooses an old man and his old wife to give birth to the, to the son that will be the firstborn of, of many that will be the nation of Israel. Oops. You see, the problem is God is constantly doing upside-down things. The King of Kings that we just sang about, the Lord of Lords that we just sang about, actually took off his garment hours before his arrest, gets on his knees, and he washes the stinky feet of the disciples. Who, by the way, while he's washing their stinky feet, are arguing over who's going to be the most powerful people in that council when he starts his kingdom. Two of them even have their mother go to Jesus and say, can my boy sit on your right and your left hand? Now we laugh at that. The problem is, though, is that not what we do? We live in a country, and we often endorse it in the church that gives us the right to pursue the personal pursuit of happiness. And, and that is great that we're free to do that, but I want to say that seems to be diametrically opposed to what it looks like to be God's kid. Seriously. 
We are called not to pursue happiness, but to pursue a life of sacrifice. Paul was very clear. Be a living and holy... Thank you, Brittany. Love your knowledge of the Scripture. Thank you. We, We are not to pursue... Happiness. Oh, come on, preacher. This is depressing. Not if our value system is upside down. And the problem is that somewhere along the line in the United States of America, we have married self... I don't know. uh, I don't know how to say it. You know what I'm saying. I mean, you already know where I'm going with this. We have married the idea... We were talking about this this morning, Julie and I. We have married the idea that if you walk with Jesus, you will get. You will get a husband. You will have children. You will be, uh, have a good job. You will have the right car. E- even if you're not super rich, you will have a good life. God will, God will answer your prayers about your health. And if he doesn't, he'll make you feel good about death. Whatever. We, we've, we have married self-actualization. We have married living your best life now with Christianity. And I want to say, it's not just in the weird churches. It's in the Baptist church. It's in the assemblies of God churches. When somebody's struggling with sin, we don't even blame it on their flesh. We blame it on demonic forces. And yet, Jesus was very clear, and I would argue hated because his value system constantly pushed the edges. If you want to know what it's like to hear a preacher offend a congregation, just ask God to give you a dream where you can watch him preach to the thousands of people he fed with fishes and bread who asked for more food, and he looks at the crowd and he says, you shouldn't be asking for more bread and fishes. If you really want to be my followers, you should eat my flesh and drink my blood. (laughs) Oh, that Jesus, he was a barrel of laughs. It says that the crowd said, this teaching is hard. What the heck is he talking about? Is he a cannibal? And they left. Because you know what? He didn't run out and say, I probably overused that illustration. You see, God's desire is for us to seek him, to ask, to knock, to keep digging. You see, this is a relationship that transforms us. I watched some preaching this week, and I am amazed at how much preaching is about making you feel good about yourself. And let me be clear, you shouldn't feel good about yourself. You should feel amazed at God. We should be so busy being blown away that God would love us that we don't take our eyes off of Him. I understand depression. I understand anxiety. I've got it in my family. I have psychologists in my family. But the truth is, the only hope for living life God's way is to be completely obsessed with Jesus. Having said that, it is because of this very thing we're talking about that Galatians 5.1 says this. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to the slavery of the law. You see, as I talk about this, and we'll just, Kevin, just leave these verses up there until we go to the next passage. But uh, as, as we talk about this, a lot of us are like, yes, I need to sacrifice more. Okay, this week, I'm going to give 50% of my salary to somebody, or I'm going to, I mean, we start going, what do I do? But you realize that's the same problem. 
If you start this conversation and this study by going, what am I going to do now to be, to be a better, more faithful lover? You're asking the wrong question, and that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. You see, I want to go ahead and give you the next week's message. I'm here to tell you that how you live determines in whom you trust and who's in control. And if you are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, if your life exudes the fruit of the Spirit's presence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, then you are walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. If your life is full of other things and it lists them, then you are at very best not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the goal is that you better act like you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, which is another thing that is preached from pulpits all over the place. You can't fake this fruit. And if you do, you're in trouble. This is fruit. If you listen to this this morning and you realize you're not free in the, you, you are not, the, the freedom that you have is not being used in the way that God wants it to be used. My, my message to you this morning is not, knock it off, it's get on your knees. Go back to Jesus. Say, look, I'm not living out the way that you want me to live. We do in the church, in the evangelical church, in the Baptist church, in the Assemblies of God church, those of us who sincerely want to be what God wants us to be, we have completely walked away from repentance and brokenness before the Lord into, yes, pastor, I should stop looking at porn. If you stop looking at porn or you stop committing adultery, but you do it in your own power, you might as well stuck with it. Because this is a God movement. This is a God movement. This is a God transformation. And if you want to know how confused the present church is on it today, just look at Stephen Furtick's text messages recently. He said, God wants you to see yourself as he sees you. He's not here to transform you at all. Wow. And somebody said, you shouldn't put that out there because maybe he misspoke. If I ever say Jesus didn't die on the cross, I'm not misspeaking. I'm an idiot. This is a God thing we're involved in here. We just sang about the reigning of God. And it's almost like we don't act like it. I don't act like it at times. God is the transforming, resurrecting God. And when we were, when, before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and Jesus Christ raises us from the dead. And he doesn't do it so you feel better about yourself. He does it so you feel better about him and trust him. Which is the struggle. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and you don't get tied up again to the slavery of the law. Oh, how we love that word freedom. Man, I love it. The word freedom, it gets our American self-reliant, freedom-loving, and personal pursuit of happiness juices flowing. So to this verse, we scream a hearty amen. Keep going, Paul. Yes. Listen, verse 2 says, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and by the way, some are saying, well, the only problem, and not you, but some in this discussion, I know we have people watching on TV, so I want to be clear. The problem in the churches of Galatia is emblematic found in circumcision. So he obsesses talking about that. But in other places in this letter, he talks about how they've already changed their calendar, how they've already changed the day they worship. They have completely gone back to trying to be Jews as Jewish as they could be. So circumcision is just an example of the religious law that they were trying to be made righteous with. So back to our text, verse 2. I tell you this. 
If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor by, with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation of the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from His grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. And as evangelicals, and you've been studying with me with this through Galatians so far, we all say, yes, yes, Paul, thank you, thank you. Oh, if the Catholic Church would only listen. Oh, the Mormons need to hear this. How can they read this and miss it? The Church of Wells really needs this. Oh, those poor saps. Annoying poor saps. We, we can go on. Uh, evangelicals that are legalistic in nature, oh, if they would just hear. And then he goes on and he finishes this statement as, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Oh, I love love. I love love. Yes, this is good. Paul is so good. I love Galatians. It's about freedom and love. Love is so cool. And that works for us. Salvation is through faith and we're free so hand me a beer, the Constitution, a gun. I'm going deer hunting and leave me alone until I die. No, 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 that's a little selfish. Oh, that's right, Pastor. I'll take extra beers in case anybody comes and they can share one with me. That's love. Of course, Paul isn't done making his very important point, but it would be better for most modern Christians to stop there because we like this part, right? We like this part. It isn't upside down. It feeds our flesh. So far, this letter to the Galatians has been wonderful to us as evangelicals. But buckle up, buttercup, because it's going to get personal. It's going to get tough on all of us, including myself. I tease with you sometimes that if I have a text that I'm so moved by, I overheat. I think Paul is guilty of that in this passage. So let me remind you who Paul was. Paul was Saul, who was a, a law enforcer for the Jewish council. He was the guy they sent out when somebody or community was breaking the law, when people who claimed to be Jewish, like Stephen, were actually going out and preaching freedom in Christ, when they were going out and preaching salvation through faith in Christ alone outside of the Hebrew law, he was the guy they sent to either kill them, arrest them, beat them, or bring them back to Jerusalem. That was his role. He was not only good at this, but he was well paid. He was revered by Jewish leadership and feared by Hebrews all over the re region that he would later minister in. Here we go. You've got to hear this line. Here's one for the text messages, okay? Having been saved, though, having had his mind transformed, Paul goes from riches to rags and from freedom to jail for the simple message of the gospel. So, once again, I'm going to try it because I, I really think we need to realize who this guy is. This was a guy who was rich beyond wildest dreams, revered, respected, had everything that all of us could imagine because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had a good lineage. He was very well trained, and he did the job well. But after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, after learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, he went from riches to rags and from freedom to jail for the simple message of the gospel. This group of folks he's writing to in this letter 
came to Jesus during Paul's missionary journeys. And now they're walking back into Jewish law that he himself had been freed from. That cost him everything in this life that we hold dear. And his readers knew it. And yet they're walking away from him. And that's why he writes in verse 7, you are running this race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He's the one calling you to freedom. This false teaching is a little like yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing these false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, please notice the word still there. He absolutely preached that before, and he is no longer preaching it. If I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. Side point, sidebar, something that still happens to this day, sinners lie. Even religious sinners. Do you know how much I've learned about things that I've said after people have left Carpenter's Way having a conversation with me and they go around telling other people I said things that I never said? It's the craziest thing. I am a jerk. I've learned that. I don't even like me. But I want to point out something true. Sinners lie. It shouldn't shock you. If somebody is doing their own thing or making up truth or, or theology or doctrine, when they leave, they're not hindered by the truth then. And that's what's going on here. Paul doesn't even seem to know who these people are, but now they're actually, they, they attack Paul's teaching by saying he's against Jewish law, and then some are actually going, well, he's not completely against it. He still believes in it. He's actually teaching it. So we're really not that far. When it doesn't work, they transition into a new lie that's more acceptable to them. And Paul is going, I don't even know who these people are, but why would they bother me in the first place if I taught that? I don't understand. All I'm telling you is, I don't believe that. And I just want to point out that when somebody is caught in sin or somebody's sin is confronted or when somebody leaves because they don't like what's being taught, don't expect them to tell the truth. Why would you expect them to tell the truth? They don't tell the truth. There's a sin problem at the core of that. Verse 12. If you want to know how Paul's gut feels about these people, and I want to remind you that just because the Bible reflects the emotions and feelings of a person, it is not an action move. Okay? It's not an action move. You really need to know that. This is not instructive for us to go find legalists and begin, well, I just wish these troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would actually mutilate themselves. That is not instructive. We should not go find legalists and mutilate them. Now, I know that the kids have GPS, so I don't have to be quite as careful as I have tried to be lately, but I'm going to be careful. Do you understand what he's telling them to do with the knife? They're, they're in, the, in the Greek here, there's no ambiguity, okay? I mean, this is like what you'd expect at a football game. Paul's mad. And he's offended. And he wants them to cut themselves off because they are so wrong. And they are entrapping you. In case you think legalism is just another brand of Christianity, just a little more strict, that is not how Paul felt. He thought it was a cult. He thought the ones who followed it were cut off from Christ. 
It was then and it still is today, and he wished those people would mutilate themselves who teach false doctrine. And I got news for you. There's plenty of it in our culture. People with crosses at the front of their church and T-shirts and slogans. You better know what you believe, friends, because Satan is going to use the most attractive skinny jeans guy. People with short hair. (laughs) I had to say that. I want to be clear to everybody in this room and watching online today. You do not have to be Baptist, baptized, Catholic, speak in tongues, wear a skirt, have short hair, keep the Ten Commandments, vote Republican, avoid alcohol, dancing, smoking, tattooing, cremation, or any other number of add-ons to be saved. And anyone who teaches that those things are required for salvation are not only wrong on the gospel, but according to Paul have been cut off from Christ and they are heretics. And I understand that we live in this culture where we don't want to name names and hurt people's feelings. If you don't want us naming names as shepherds who care about our flock, then you better smarten up. You better protect yourselves and your families by knowing what's true. Because there's a bunch of bullpucky out there. And it's in books in every Christian bookstore, instead of in, including Lifeway. That they are peddling self Saving. And you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Only God can save us. We've reduced Jesus to some, some philosopher that has some good ideas until we really read what he says and then we kind of go, I don't like that idea. There must be an interpretation that doesn't mean carry the backpack two miles. Surely Jesus doesn't want us just to roll over with, an, with a White House that's full of either reprobates if you're a Democrat or socialists if you're a Republican. Surely God doesn't want us to roll over and let them do it. All I'm here is to tell you what Jesus said himself. That's all I'm here to tell you. You get to decide whether you're following it or not. But this idea that God's an American, that we can wrap alcohol, guns, the flag, and the Bible, and the cross all in one thing is satanic. It is satanic. Well, how can you say that? Because we tried to do it in 350 A.D. in Rome. And it screwed everything up there. What happens is the religious leaders and the politicians get together and they begin to control you. And Jesus said, I came to set you free. Freedom! Freedom! I know. I can't do Braveheart anymore. I used to... I would rather live 30 seconds as a free man. Freedom! Do you want to be free? You're going to have to give it all up, even the stuff you want. And that's what he picks up here. Use your freedom. Where are we at here? Would you put verse 13 up there, please? Here we go. Four. Here it comes. I wish those people would go mutilate themselves. Four. Whenever there's a four or so you need to buckle your seatbelt because the good feeling you just had is probably going to get a little rough. For, here it comes. Why should anyone teaching this kind of self-obsessed salvation works mutilate themselves? Because you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But, here it comes again. I hate that but. There's always a but. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up with this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you want to know what God wants you to do, He wants you to love others. But in order to truly love others, you've got to be free not to be obsessed with your own sin nature. Um, please pay attention now because this goes to our calling, our, our task. Why we were left here once we were saved and not swept up immediately into heaven to why we are set free by Jesus. Our task is not to make religious people. I, I hear a lot right now, churches are shrinking and we need more people in church. I just want to make it clear that more people in church will not make us a better culture. It didn't work in Rome. It won't make us a better culture. Our task is not to restore morality or make the Ten Commandments the law of the land. Not once are we told to do that. And by the way, when the Jews tried to do it, they didn't work and they ended up killing God Himself. So be careful. And then they started saying, well, the law is God. Wow. Our task is not to pursue our own happiness and safety. Well, then how can we serve if we can't pursue our own happiness and safety? Well, maybe we're not supposed to be saved. And i got to tell you, I hate that one. Because I want you to give enough where I don't ever have to think about anything again but preaching. I'm thinking about skinny jeans. I've done the long hair, the short hair. I will not do skinny jeans. Don't worry. But I am thinking about a kilt and an accent. I, I just... Our task... Our task is not to look Christian or even to make ourselves righteous or look righteous. Our task is not to have the biggest, best church in the world and with the biggest, best programming. Our task is not to have the, the finest facility or the, or the best financial campaign. Our task is not to restore America to greatness. Paul said in this task, in this text, that we are called to live in freedom so that we can serve others in love. And isn't that what Jesus did? Again, I want you to picture the Last Supper. You've all seen it. it everybody's sitting around one side of the table so that they could take a picture at the end. I know, I've got a million of them. Come back next week for more. But they're, they're all around the table. And what the, what's the conversation at the table? It's weird. There's one guy who's awfully quiet, who's usually a loudmouth. Why? Because he's about to turn Jesus in. Then you've got the other disciples who are all arguing. Well, you've got two disciples who want to be on the right and left of Jesus, and the rest of them have found out that they did this, and they're all upset because these two had dared ask that they be the greatest in the kingdom. So what's happening at the table? Everybody wants a place of honor, except Judas, who's just quiet in the corner, and we know why. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't stand up and go, you guys were the wrong team. You always argue. You're a bunch of boobs. I should have picked some other people. He doesn't do that. He goes over to the corner and he takes off his outer garment and he puts a towel around his waist and he starts with one and he starts washing his feet. And Peter gets offended. Master, these other guys, you can wash their feet, but you will never wash mine. Ah, in fact, in fact, I didn't think of it before, but I'm going to wash your feet now. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, unless you let me wash your feet, dude. You can't have any part of me. And then Peter, Mark, Peter, Mark, gets up and goes, well then Jesus, wash all of me. <laughs> Peter and I have a lot to talk about in heaven. Because what does Peter do? He listens to Jesus and he kicks into gear. It's what we do, right? Because we don't ever shut up and listen and take in. It's not how we're built. We're Texans. We're Americans. We pick up our swords and we fight. 
I fear that we have wakened a sleeping giant after World War II. Well, maybe God doesn't want giants. He wants weak people who depend on God. So he keeps washing feet around the table, and then he gets up and says, do you know what I've done? <laughs> and nobody answers because they don't have any idea. Uh, you just washed our feet? Good. Good job, Andrew. I did. Anybody else want to throw a question out or an answer out? He says, I, your master, came to serve you and not be served by you. Now, I'm leaving. You do this for each other. To which they all went, I'm still going to be the best at the table. Because it's upside down. We're royalty. Have you ever heard a guy preach in recent months? I have. That we are the royal children of God and God loves us so much He wants to give us everything. All we've got to do is ask properly. He'll even move mountains if you ask properly. So the problem isn't God. It's putting the right quarter in the machine. The problem isn't you. It's putting the right mustard seed of faith in the machine. It gives God no rain. He's here to do what you want. But that's not what this is about. Do you remember? I, look, we, we've ruined 1 Corinthians 13. Um, not, it's wonderful, and it's great for weddings, but it wasn't written for marriage. Did you, did you know that? The love chapter was not written for marriage. It was written to talk about what love looks like by the same guy who told us in Galatians we need to love as we relate to the world. Let me read it for you. If I could speak all the language of earth and angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. I, I want to stop. I, I know my time's running short. I'll be done in 10 minutes, but I, I just want to point out what the church has done with this text. The church says, oh, see, there's an angelic tongue out there that I need to get. Completely missing that what his point is, is even if you could speak like the angels, even if you spoke every language on earth, if you didn't love the people you were ministering to, you're just a loud drum. Just a lot of noise. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, these are hyperbolic statements. Nobody knows all of God's secret plans. But he's saying even if you did... If you understood all of them and you possessed all knowledge, everything you ever wondered was made clear to you, and if you had such faith that mountains could move, please notice, it doesn't say you can or you will. It says even if you could. And what do we do today? We say, look, you just have to have enough faith. Mountains will move. I have yet to see a mountain move, no matter how faithful that preacher seems to claim to be. When I see a preacher who claims that a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain, move a mountain, I will start believing it. Until then, I'm wasting my night listening to this guy. It's all about you when it should be all about God. The point in this text is not what you can do or the power and authority you have. It is what we are supposed to be. If I can do all of that, if I could move a mountain but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. People would be impressed. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. What is this love thing that Paul is talking about? What does it look like? It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It never gives up. 
It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Honest question. Does this sound like the church we're living in today? No. You can say it. It's okay. No, it doesn't. The church today is angry and it's political and it's frustrated and it's telling Washington, I'm not going to submit. That's what we sound like, by the way. We're just mad. We're mad at everything. We're mad at anything. And we're mad about being mad. And we're mad at preachers who tell us not to be mad. I read an article uh, two weeks ago, I think I said it on Wednesday night, an article that was going out to all churches, I don't know how they found us, all evangelical churches, and to as many Christians in this country that they could find, and the article was entitled, or the, the email or the letter was entitled, Now is the Time, and it basically said it is time for revolution, it must start with the church, and if your church is not rising up to a political revolution in this country, you should overthrow the church. I just want to be clear, bring it. Not because I can beat you, but I'm sticking with the Word of God. Seriously. we got to get back to truth here. Truth. With a capital T. And the problem is it's simple. It's not complicated. Salvation through faith in Christ alone. And then the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Leaning on God. Trusting in Him. we got to get back to that. And I want to just make it clear, and I don't stand just for myself here. I'm not just saying this as the pastor. On behalf of the elders, we are sticking with God's word even if it hurts. Please stick with us. Because the other doesn't work. It just makes you matter. And you live in the flesh. And you, wow, we start saying ugly things that have nothing to do with our kingdom. Verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, and here is the thing, and I wasn't going to read this far, but this is such a good ending. Think about what he's saying here. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Wow. We have been, here we go, big finish. We have been set free from self-obsession. While he's using religion and circumcision in this text to, to, to exemplify that, the truth is you have been set free from worrying about if you're ugly or pretty or single or married or have children. You have been set free from trying to be successful in this life. Because if God doesn't take care of all of that, you have to live for those things. And if you doubt that that is the average mentality of today, just join Instagram for an hour. And even Christians are lying. The truth is, everything we do is God's. He has bought us with a high price. Now it's our job to glorify Him with our body in life and death. And it's hard. It's hard because I have to really believe if I do that. I mean, like, really, really believe. I don't know what to do with heaven and hell. I don't have any choice, so I'm going to believe Him for that. But now I have to believe Him in this life? That's harder. Because I, I have this lie in my flesh that says, as long as I'm holding tightly, I'll be okay. Isn't that a lie? It's a lie. The truth is, 
as long as I'm holding tightly to Him, I'll be okay. Even if I die. That explains to me that part of the story, we, we studied our last series was on the life of Jesus. And I kept telling you the funniest thing in that whole study for me this time was when the disciples were freaking out about their life and Jesus says, what's the worst they could do to you, kill you? And I told you I thought that was funny because I'd been going, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> and at that point in the ministry, they probably thought, you don't know how painful this death could be, Jesus. Wow. Now think about it. He came to die. But now I'm looking at it with different eyes and I'm going, maybe death isn't the hardest option. Maybe that's home going. Maybe that's rest. Maybe that's hope. And I'm not saying that we should all just end it here. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have been left here, set free from religiosity and self-concern so that now you can love your neighbor. Your gay neighbor. Your over-drinking neighbor your Baptist neighbor, your grumpy neighbor, your friendly neighbor, the one who, whatever, you can love your neighbor. It's going to be hard, I know. That's why it's upside down. You can pray for Nancy Pelosi. When was the last time you prayed for a non-impreccable prayer? Only seven of you know what I just said. It's okay. It's just a Greek word. Not a prayer of hate. When was the last time you prayed for President Trump and his wife, their souls? You know, he's old. He will die. And if he becomes president for the second time and dies in his sin, he will go to hell. So will Joe Biden. Well, he's Catholic. doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Catholic, Assembly of God. Salvation is through faith in Christ. What's the word? Alone. Alone. Not religiosity. He had a good meeting with the Pope. Problem is, the Pope can't save him either. Only Jesus can. And in this community, there's a lot of people who go to church. A lot of people go to good churches. But if fruit matters, next week's message, and there's a lot less followers of Jesus in this community than we think. Because the fruit, a lot in this community, not all the time, there's a lot of love, but there's a lot of sinful fruit in this community. There's a lot. And if we're going to do Jesus through His Word, then we have to do what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the spirits, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take the interest of others too. And here's his statement right on the screen. You must have the same attitude that Christ did. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being and humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Wow. That's by living upside-down values. God allowed himself to be killed by the very people he came to save. Who does that? God. And we're his children. We should act like it.
So how do I get there, Pastor? Number one, you listen next week because it answers that question very clearly. So please come back and listen. This is a two-week thing, but I'll go ahead and give you the answer. Don't get better. Get broken. Get on your knees and just say, I'm not that guy. You're going to have to make me that guy. To which you'll go, I was waiting for you to ask. It, it might be a little painful, but it will happen. It's happening to me, and it's weird. It is, it is weird to think how I'm thinking. I was on, I was on Instagram last night. Julie and Annie were at a, a wedding. I was at a funeral, so I couldn't go. But then I went home early. I mean, this is so weird. Please, you know that I'm not a spiritual guy and I'm not lifting myself up, but this is the kind of transformation that's happening to Mark. I was going through on Instagram some things, and as I looked through, there were some movie stars. Oh, like, like um, help me out. Who's the guy who just shot somebody on the set? Alec Baldwin. Boy, you do watch the news. Alec Baldwin. And I, I don't like that guy. I just don't. I, I, he's a, he's a, doesn't matter why I don't like him. I don't like him. But something last night, my heart was broken for him. He played it too hard, took too much control, and now he's in real trouble. He killed somebody, whether by accident or not. This is an this is a, a anti-gun guy who doesn't even live, listen to the most simple of rules. You never point a gun at anybody. It's just, do you realize how tragic his life is now, you guys? And if I just see him as a political character and an actor that I don't like, I don't like him. But if I start seeing him as a man who is in danger of eternity apart from God, I start praying for him. I've never felt this before. I've never been more blown away by the promises of God as I am right now in Galatians. And I know this is testimony time, but I just got to tell you, something's happening inside that I've never had happen before. And it is wonderful and unnerving because I don't know where I stand politically anymore. And I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know where I stand with wanting to be part of the big body of Christ in this country. All I know is I want to walk with Jesus and let the chips fall where they may, but that does scare me. Julie will tell you it scares me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Please join me. Let's go together. It's going to get weird, but it's going to be a wonderful weird. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you have set us free so we don't have to worry about ourselves. Instead, we can love others. Our alcoholic brother who the only place he'll meet with us is in a bar or a, our gay neighbor. That we're trying to learn how to explain to our children while ministering to him. To our, uh, I, I don't know Lord, fill in the gap. Help us understand what it means to love people that we don't even like. To care for their souls more than our flesh. Make our hearts like our brothers and sisters, the missionaries in Afghanistan, who are willing to stay and die because they love you and those people more than themselves. You have set us free so we don't have to be selfish. I, begin that you, I pray that you would begin the process of transforming the way we think and in turn changing the way we live. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful day. Uh, if you're visiting and you would like information on the church, my dad and my Karen will be at that table out there and uh, answer questions for you. God bless you. Have a beautiful, wonderful Sunday.